Welcome to Lame Stream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter.com because it's still Twitter.com at Braden Gall. My name is Steve Cavendish. You can follow me on Blue Sky or Instagram at Scavendish. If you like this show, the one you're listening to right now, you can rate it, you can review it, you can subscribe to it. All of those things help us. Uh, but mostly, we just want you to tell somebody that you know that you listen to Lame Stream Sports and they should too. Okay, so we're going to do some cathartic venting here for a few minutes at the top of the show. Then we're going to speak with the wonderful and amazing digital editor for the Nashville scene in the Nashville Post, Kim Baldwin. And a lot of it's going to be about those those names you just mentioned, Instagram, Blue Sky, and Twitter.com. We talked a little bit about this last week with Wes Bowling. Great episode with Wes, so go check that out. Um, but she's going to sort of explain how does a local media company look at the digital landscape and maximize audience, maximize attention, and then sort of curate all of that content for those particular audiences in those particular locations. Awesome, awesome, awesome guest. Can't wait to talk with her. I think you guys are really going to enjoy that. Uh, Kim's incredibly smart. Uh, you can find her usually at The Blonde Mule on most of the socials. Uh, you can also find her Substack there. We'll talk about that. She, put, she writes down smart things and puts them on the <laughs> interwebs, and you should go find them and read them. Oh, that almost like like how the internet was invented people to put smart Almost. things down on the Almost. internet <laughs> put those ones and zeros out there but do it in a really smart way so steve afterward you and i are going to have sort of a conversation about like where do we think we are going from a consumption standpoint and a creation standpoint in the social media sphere because you've got me onto this blue sky thing you can get to me there as well operating gall i am enjoying it it is quite comfortable and cozy uh and nostalgic and so we'll get to sort of where we think our personal consumption habits are going to trend towards uh, as well as where we think our personal creation habits are going to trend towards as, as well. So we'll do that after our conversation uh, with Kim. Uh, before we do any of this, however, Lame Stream Sports, a podcast about Nashville sports media and business brought to you by Jaspers. Always brought to you by the fine folks at Jaspers. Bingo. Yeah, bingo. Yes. But also bingo. Every other Thursday night, the second and fourth Thursday nights of every month, you got bingo over there at Jasper's uh, in the game room. It is a fantastic place to watch games. It is a free parking lot. It is a free game room. The food is not free, but that's because it's totally worth the price. Uh, it's affordable and delicious. You got just any different type of table you could possibly want. They got booths. They got bar seats, uh, a big, large bar. They got tall tops. They got a regular restaurant sitting area. They got the, the big screen in the game room. So literally anything you could ever need. Preds games, Titans games, SEC games, you name it, they got it. So go check it out. Um, they always have the games on. They don't have any streaming problems like Bally Sports. So go to Jasper's. Go to Jasper's. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, just before we get to Kim, I just have a like, we don't normally talk a lot about like what happens on the field, on the ice, but you and I were both in attendance on the pitch on Tuesday night. Uh, at Nashville SC's final match of the year, they lose to Orlando City in the first round of the MLS Cup playoffs. They lost the first game and the second game of the best two out of three series to Orlando, so they won zero playoff matches this year. They finished. You mean, you mean the best out of two playoff series? <laughs> right, right. They did not win a single game. They finished seventh in the standings after a far better year last year. Um, they they took a step back. We discussed a lot of this on the field the product with you know how the fan base has evolved and Gary Smith and all this stuff last last week with Wes. I don't get to do this very often about soccer, but I just want to vent because number one, the stadium was was two thirds full. They claimed twenty five thousand. No chance. They announced that in the press box, and I have I have never seen more more people looking around at each other going twenty five thousand really. Uh, I mean, but but and that's a sold number. That's not an and that's not an attendance number. But yeah, well, when it says tonight's attendance on the big screen, twenty five thousand, yeah. like we all start look exactly. We started laughing and looking around. Some of that is unfortunately you're not going to bring your kids to an eight o'clock match the way I would try to bring my daughters to as many matches as possible on the, a Tuesday. The, atten on, on the a, attendance on Tuesday is, night. The attendance is directly related to the league putting this at a at 8 p.m. on a Tuesday. The league did not want to stack up games on the weekends because because they have they had they have so many games here in this round. They didn't want to stack up all of these games on the weekend. They wanted to spread them out to give like more nights of television. But I got to tell you, it, it sucked. <laughs> I mean, well, it really let me, so it really, it, it really sucks having having all these games drag out. Uh this is not the NBA. This is not you know these are not 
seven game series over two weeks or whatever else. I mean, play play the games on the weekends when people want to be there. I I would also argue that the performance they put forth in match one of the playoff series against Orlando, where they were completely dominated and yet again, an expensive striker completely whiffed on multiple opportunities to score and tie the match to have won one game, one match. And I believe what their last like eight or nine of the regular season, they're not, they scored three goals against new England and largely have not scored any goals against anybody else. And at least they gave up a kind of a cheap goal in the first few minutes of the match. It bounces over the head, kind of a bad giveaway. They go down one nothing. And at least, and my buddy and I went back and we were sitting in the supporter section to just sort of enjoy the, the, the where Nashville he was attacking in the first half. And it was quite enjoyable because at least they had they played with a sense of urgency. But the people who didn't show up because it was eight o'clock, I also think they didn't show up because of the way the team has been playing, because the second half of soccer against Orlando S, S Orlando City on Tuesday night was the worst half of soccer I have seen from that club in maybe their entire existence. And it was like, I was, I've, I've not ever been angry walking out of the stadium and I was angry as a season ticket holder. And so I just, I just wanted a minute to get that off my chest. (laughs) There's no media lesson other than maybe don't play your games at eight o'clock on a Tuesday night. I think Gary Smith's a good coach. I think Mike Jacobs is is an excellent technical director, or excuse me, general manager. But $13 million on two strikers, Ake Loba and Sam Surridge, who have done largely absolutely nothing for this club, is unacceptable moving forward. And I feel, as a season ticket holder, that I'm entitled to say that out loud. And it's okay for me to say, y'all got to do better at that position. In the post-game press conference, it turned very quickly from that game to the season and kind of some larger sort of questions and and to Gary Smith's credit, he was very open. I mean, he couldn't say anything other than, you know, they underperformed. He couldn't say anything except we peaked in the league's cup. Matter of fact, he led with the fact that he said, well, it looks like we peaked with the league's cup. We were hoping to, to have a run here in the playoffs and it just didn't, it just did not happen. You know, he didn't have any answers for the lack of goals down the stretch. The, this team is old. You know, Dax McCarty is 36. He's going to be, he is going to be an awesome color analyst in the booth. So I'm truly, he will be a great color analyst. Maybe next year. I I keep hearing that. I keep hearing that he wants to continue to play. He may, there's another, there's another, there's another MLS team that has expressed interest in Dax. And so, you know, Sam Surridge out. Dax McCarty out. Sam Surridge is not going anywhere. They just paid. I know. They transferred a fee and they're paying him two and a half million years on his contract, uh, dollars a year on his contract. He's not going anywhere. By the way, that's two and a half million dollars per goal. Sam Surridge next year with uh, with a full offseason and kind of integrating into the team will be better than he was this year. He will. Thank Uh, you. Thank you for talking me off the ledge. I do appreciate it. But you know what? It's we've just gotten eliminated. I'm allowed to be a fan for once. Okay, just let me be a fan. Uh, I, I do want to ask you a question quickly, then we can move on to our, our wonderful conversation with Kim Baldwin. And I do find that I've asked Wes Bowling and Tim Sullivan, I'd love to hear an entire offseason episode based on this because we were driving home from the match. And I was like, well, one of the guys that I was talking to on Twitter about this or da 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 was like, they number one priority this season was that they qualified for the CONCACAF. Conca and I'm like, and he goes, my buddy was, who's a very big soccer fan, I was like, oh, I forgot. I didn't even realize that that's what had happened. That game is, that game is 90 days away. And they're probably going to get smoked. But like the point is, yeah. in, in the tournament, I mean. But like my question to you is, qu- try, try to do this as quickly as you kind of can. All the f- different things that happen, they're very new to a lot of soccer fans in Nashville. League's Cup is new to everybody. CONCACAF is something that people don't fully understand yet. So like that are new to soccer, at least. Give me the priority of what fans should care about. Because personally, I care about the MLS Cup. That is what I personally care about. And am I wrong? Should I have that at number three or four or should it be number one? Like what should the soccer fan in Nashville's priorities be? I I think that there are like two or three clubs that have enough depth and have enough talent to be able to compete across a number of different competitions. What I would say, what I would say to Nashville fans is any silverware is good silverware. And so whether it's the U S open cup or whether it is the leaks cup, which they made the final this year, or whether it is, CONCACAF Champions Cup, which they will be participating in for the first time next year. You know, all of those are chances to win silverware. You can't win all of them. I would take any one of them and be giddy. I mean, if they had won the League's Cup this year, I think you would say that this was a smashing success, no matter how the season ended. There's no doubt that it ended on a thud, but 
I, I'll take I'll take any silverware. So and, it's, and it, I, so it's okay to say one penalty shot goes their way in that insane match with Miami, uh, and Tim, that that erases the entire forty games that I paid to go to as a as a season ticket holder. Tim Tim Sullivan says says this over on the uh, on the Club and Country podcast, a part of the Four Forty Sports Network. Please go rate, review, subscribe. Um, he says that you know that they are a they're a high variance team because they have squeezed the game into just a few chances, and that that's their that's their style of play. And so the the goal that they lost on on Tuesday night was a you know a, a deflection off of a defender's foot and wasn't there a turnover and, and before that though there was a turnover before that but okay. defender got in front of it the, the, there was a deflection it went, it went over willis's head it's a, it's a strange weird, bounce it's a strange it's, bounce. it's a it's a weird kind of bounce but but that's what happens and when you lock it down to just a few chances you know the fluke beats you okay and, okay so, sounds like maybe they should uh play a style that affords more chances and allows for more variance. <laughs> I mean, but they've been very successful. With I this know, style. I know, I know. And and I, this stuff, and and this is what is so frustrating. Except for the like the absolute amount of flopping that went on. I mean, yeah, in bad. many ways, that Orlando team was was a a version of what of what they play. It was a version of the style uh, the the style that Nashville uh, C plays. Their defending was outstanding. Like that, they, they were yeah. in position. They were in position. The entire match, they locked they, down. They, Hani cut, Mook, they, they locked they, down Hani Mukhtar. It was they were great. well, and not to get like too into the weeds here, but I mean, like their fullbacks were were deep and wide and allowed yep. no width yep. and very blonde, very blonde, very, very blonde, uh, highly blonde, highly blonde, highly blonde. Uh, like I guess so. I I don't like I agree with you, but I also it also sounds like a cop out answer what you said to me about I like mean, any silverware is good silverware. I agree with your point on that, and and you're right. Had they won the league's cup, I it, the sting would be removed from the way the season ended. But I, I'm just trying to understand, like, if they were to win all of them, which is the one that is the that we should value the most? And I feel I mean, like I the, feel like the league that they play in, the season M- that they compete MLS, in, MLS, MLS Cup. If you stack them all up together, MLS Cup is the biggest, is okay. the biggest prize. Okay, that's what I want to win. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Now that we settled that, uh, and I, I'd love to hear Wes and Tim. This is like us doing a, a tweet, a mailbag tweet in podcast form. <laughs> Which is <laughs> Wes and Tim, please do an episode where you prioritize all of the silverware, please, for national SC fans. With that in mind, uh, let's head to our conversation with Kim Baldwin, of course, is the digital editor for the national scene and the national post. And here was our conversation with what what's the handle? The blonde mule again? The blonde mule. The blonde mule. Here was our conversation with the blonde mule. Kim, thank you so much for giving us some time on the show today. We really do appreciate it. How are you? Hey, I'm good. Thanks for having me on. So I'm going to let you do this in your own words. So give everybody your official title and then what and and then sort of how do you how would you personally describe the role in a more uh, lengthy process? Okay. Um, Hi, I'm Kim Baldwin. I'm the digital editor for the Nashville scene. I've been in this role a little bit, a little bit over a year. I am simply responsible for the digital presence of the Nashville scene, which includes social media. That's a huge, it includes a daily newsletter. It includes a lot of the back end of our website. And then just, you know, a lot of metrics, a lot of analytics, a lot of reporting, keeping an eye on stuff. It's, it's a big job. Tell people. I, I think this. I think people will be really interested in this. How did you? How did you kind of get to where you are now? Because you've done a lot of different stuff, uh, and and you've got you've got some great experience. How did how did you end up as the scenes digital editor? It's a long answer that I will try to abbreviate. <laughs> um, I used to work in the state legislature. While I was there, I went to graduate school, got a master's in public policy, and became a government relations director for a very large nonprofit, managed a whole department for a huge multi-state nonprofit, worked in DC, worked on the Hill, worked in 27 middle Tennessee counties. And um, around 2016, that became not so fun anymore for me. So I kind of got out and took a little break and my skill set, just being personable, able to talk to people, able to write on the internet, 
a couple of people with businesses in town asked me to run their Facebook pages. And then because of my political background, that was an election year and a bunch of candidates hired me to run the social for their campaigns. And I was like, sure. I don't know if I know how to do that, but sure. <laughs> and I was good at it. And they all won their elections. <laughs> um, and that was 10 years ago. So for 10, for 10 years prior to working for the scene, I was a for hire digital strategist um, for huge businesses, public officials, political candidates. And I also wrote for the scene a little bit during that time as a freelancer. Digital strategy. It, it can include a, a myriad of things. How has, because you just mentioned like even just 10 years ago, running a Facebook uh, strategy for a campaign could be incredibly effective. Now I can't believe that uh, somebody is making Mark Zuckerberg look good, but Elon Musk has somehow done that. Um, I, I am curious how your priorities have changed in terms of a, a talking to an audience, uh, getting a message out to that audience, promoting content to an audience. Over those 10 years, how have your priorities, how have the levers moved? They've moved quite a bit, which, you know, you you both know and anyone online knows. Um, you're right. Back in the day, you could have a strong Facebook presence. You could throw a little bit of money at it once a month, boost some posts, run some ads. Um, Instagram didn't matter yet. Um, Twitter didn't matter like it does now. Like, I still let all of my clients do their own Twitter. Um, it felt really inauthentic at the time to have someone else be your voice. And that is just no longer the case. Um, it's people's interest is really diversified. Now there are so many platforms and they're very segmented, different. You know, we're on Twitter. Journalists and media people are on Twitter. Normal people aren't on Twitter anymore. <laughs> Women aren't on Twitter anymore. Um, it's because you, you guys are smart. <laughs> um, and most people went to Instagram. So everyone's different. It's, you've got to figure out a couple things. Where's your audience? Who are they? What's their age range? What's their breakdown? So you know how to talk to them. Like you have to develop a voice, find them, develop the voice, and then you just have to reach them. You have to go where they are. If they're not online, you hit them with a the newsletter, you hit them in their inbox. It's hard. Everybody's different. When when you have uh, when you have seen content that that you're uh, that, that you're trying to get out there, um, do you think to when when you've got a uh, so for people who don't know that you know the scene will will finish publication and editing of everything that goes in the week's edition on like a Monday and so you've got a couple of days to prepare before you guys put out a big burst of content every Thursday in addition to kind of like the daily stuff that you do when you're thinking about that content. Um, do you sit? Do you sit there and think eh, this is going to do well on Instagram? This is a Facebook thing. This is a, you know, this is this is this is Twitter. And kind of like, how do you segment? How how do you segment that to get people to 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 be to to engage with whatever the scene is doing online? I do, at this point, kind of intuitively know who's where and what will land where, and that's just experience. Um. Patrick, our editor-in-chief, also really knows that because he and I have been online for so long, um, <laughs> chronically online. <laughs> so he's a very good partner boss. The scene does have a ton of content. I'm very organized. I work in a spreadsheet. It's all planned out. I know, unless it's literal breaking news, like there's a plan for where it's going to go when. In general, every story hits Facebook and Twitter. Because, you know, there's no limit. You can just you can just knock that out all day. Instagram, I prefer to be more selective. I don't like accounts that post five times a day. It's just it's just pollution. Also, Instagram is visual. So if the story doesn't have a compelling photo to go with it, it's just not going to do well on Instagram. Uh, it's really hard to sell a story on Instagram that doesn't have like a really compelling visual component. How about the same exact story? We can pick any one. How do you take the exact same story and then 
tweak the delivery of that story for each of these things. Obviously, it's pretty standard on the website. You're going to post the website. You're going to have some art to it. You're going to have it's going to be edited. It's a written story. But to what you just like how you deliver, because I've heard, you know, YouTube creators will say, like, if I'm doing TikTok, if I'm doing Instagram, if I'm doing YouTube, I actually execute the same exact video three different ways. So let's take whatever feature story you've got. It's the thing you're pushing out. How is it different for the newsletter, for Twitter, for Instagram, for the website? This is an easy answer. Um, in general, the subhead is the caption on every platform except Instagram. So Patrick writes the headlines and the subheadlines. The subhead is the caption on Facebook, Blue Sky, Threads, Twitter. Instagram, I will write a big caption. I'll pull out a quote. I'll, add, I'll tag the reporters and the photographer. Instagram, um, we go longer because there's not a link. You know, on Facebook and Twitter, you can see maybe like the lead photo and the headline and whatnot. So you can already see if you're interested on every platform except Instagram. But Instagram, you've really got to grab them. I, and Steve knows this, I really utilize Instagram stories. I use Instagram stories like Twitter. I put all of our story. I'm going to say stories too many times. All of the Nashville scenes, news stories go into Instagram stories. And that's my way to try to get clicks on an app that really doesn't want anyone to leave the app. Well, that brings me to my next question. And you you said metrics. And every single one of these platforms, including Facebook, including Twitter, they've all throttled back the 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 way they promote i mean it's pretty simple here they want you to stay on their platform so that they can monetize you for as long as possible it's actually pretty pretty logical here um how how have the metrics shown you guys uh you know twitter's never really been all that great at pushing traffic web traffic that is um how how have the metrics have you seen the actual change from any of these platforms pushing traffic to to your website I've only worked here a year, so I can only speak to just the last year. But um, what's nice about being the first person in a brand new job is you just look really good at it because there's nothing to measure against. <laughs> um, so there's no way to know if they were doing good or bad before me because no one was, there was no me. Um, so yeah, in the year plus I've worked here, we've seen a huge increase. We get a lot of traffic that comes from social. But there's no way to know if it was like that before um, because my position didn't exist. No one was tracking it. No one was measuring it. But uh, we do get a ton of traffic from social. Interesting. That, that's not the way it's working for very many people in this, in this world it's right not, now. And it ebbs and flows. And it's kind of just, it's kind of fake science. Like, I'm not sure that any of these <laughs> apps are even telling us the truth. It's, it's really hard to, it's hard to prove when you put something onto a platform, are you ever surprised by like, huh, didn't know that was going to do well, or this blew up or like, what's something that just kind of went nuts. And you were like, I had no idea it was going to do that. Very recent. It happens a lot. Um, I do not work outside of a traditional Monday through Friday business hour schedule. So I'm not online at night or on the weekends. I just let it roll. I say that. So that I plan the weekend posts to not be controversial because I'm not going to watch them. I'm not going to moderate comments <laughs> on the weekends. So the weekend's pretty tame. Some art stories, a book story. <laughs> um, so a week or so ago, I put what I thought was a really sweet neighborhood story on Instagram about Forest Avenue in East Nashville dropping one of the R's. Mm. I was wrong. Uh, I was real wrong. You could have seen that. You could have seen that one coming. <laughs> I really, I really, <laughs> yeah, it was off the rails. And your sons of Confederacy showing up in, uh, showing up in, uh, in, in, in droves. Yeah. I mean, go look at it. It's only a week old. It, there's people still commenting. It, it oh. really was a mistake on my part. For 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 those that I guess we do we need to explain this to anybody or no? <laughs> that, yeah, that there's explain, one R explain in, it in like in like like thirty seconds here. Yeah, there's one R in forest, like the collection of trees, and there's two R's in forest. You know, the guy who started the clan. <laughs> did I do it well enough? You did. <laughs> That's good. You did. 
I'm curious about the newsletter because I, I'm a big believer and I, and sort of what your strategy is moving forward, because I think what's interesting is people, I mean, I, I'll just speak from my own personal experience, which is that I am, people are leaving Twitter very fast. And I liked Twitter for a lot of reasons. It was live interaction with people that cared about the same thing that we could all communicate with kind of together at the same time in real time. There's a lot of different ways that that other platforms are trying to do this. I'm I'm kind of Cav has convinced me to play around with Blue Sky a little bit, which feels like old Twitter, which is very comfortable to me, like an old sweatshirt or something, which I kind of enjoy. Um, but newsletters seem to be a, a direct to consumer. It's like a podcast version of a newspaper to some degree. Um, you also have Discord, which is doing really well to sort of kind of create these communities of conversation. Reddit's a part of this as well. So where do you see? the scene moving into those spaces and investing into those spaces moving forward in terms of where your strategy goes? That's the question. I agree with you that newsletters are kind of it right now, um, which is funny to me and probably to you as someone who's been on the internet the whole time. Um, and I started as a blogger. I had a blog back in 2006. And so it's funny that we created all of these platforms to talk to each other and have community and get information, but they're so out of control that now the only way to get people to know anything is to email them again. And it's, that's very funny to me, but it's also true. You know, you can't, they took away the chronological timeline, the, the chronological feed. You don't see any of your friends post. You just see ads. Twitter's so terrible. You don't get anything there anymore. You kind of just have to go to people's inboxes now. And and it has the added benefit of like, you know who exactly who that audience is. You know how many of them are opening it up and reading it. And you can tell advertisers, hey, we have this amount of captured audience mm -hmm. uh, that you can sell directly to as opposed to, you know, uh, you know, put a, put put something on Facebook, put something on, you know, put something on Twitter where you never really know what you're going to get. And from an advertising perspective, that's it seems like that's the best possible world for you guys because you have engaged local audience. And not even local. Um, I have some friends who live like in West Tennessee and I saw them recently at an event and um, I had written something that didn't get a ton of social attention, but it was in the newsletter. And um she gets the newsletter. She's never lived in Nashville. They live hours away. And she said it's the first thing she reads every day when she gets to work. Oh, wow. She loves to know what's happening. I was like, okay, I I didn't know. Well, to, to your point about like, or let's go back to like, you mentioned blogs, like early internet, not even like pre, not even like smartphone and social media, but like late 90s internet. It was still a very segmented kind of private place to interact with people that you just kind of had similar interest with like that's the way the internet kind of functioned in the 90s and that's sort of how social media functioned when it started and then of course it becomes they all become big business and it becomes engagement and then it's a you know a, a lot of different things but that is you know part of the reason podcasts i think are successful is because it's user curated and th there's there's guardrails there's walls on it and that that you the user decide and that's exactly what a newsletter is in blog or print form and again i don't know what like substack hasn't really figured out how to sort of what the next phase of their evolution is going to be yet but i don't know what the chat room what's the future of the i don't know what that what the, i don't know what the chat room's future is like that's maybe again maybe that's discord i don't know but it's all about user curation right it's about i'm back to controlling my own experience and putting some 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 buffers in there right yeah i have a lot of frustration with the men behind all of these apps um <laughs> I do. <laughs> no, I'm not. I, I'm laughing because really you're do. correct. <laughs> I do. They've been lying the whole time, which is not a surprise, but it's very frustrating to watch just the false narrative of, no, this is for community. This is for community building. And it so clearly is not. And in the beginning, no one, not everyone knew, but now everyone knows. It's, it's so obvious. It's just a grab bag. It's just ads, money, money. It, it is absolutely not for building community. Data, well, and, data, uh, data, brainstem, brainstem, data. Well, yes. and, 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 you know, you get, you get reminded of that periodically. Like, like the, the, the threads roll out here this past year was, 
hey everybody come to threads you know they, they turned on this they, they turned on this thing that uh, you know immediately had you know several hundred million users um and then and then they turned around and then they turned around and said but you know we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take news and we're gonna we're gonna push this down in the algorithm and you can't delete and, and if it that's yeah <laughs> and, and if this is like what you want to share and 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 be part of community wise they're they're immediately sort of devaluing it uh and it, it and they won't like sort of like the the com uh, there it seems like there is in the wake of twitter's I don't know what are we calling this devolution, um, you know, descent into, you know, being a hellscape or whatever, wh whatever it is. It seems like that there is a, a place for news out there some way, and I kind of hope Blue Sky becomes this, but it's going to take a while. You know, there's not, there's just not enough kind of mass on there now, but, but nobody wants to let news be, you know, be that thing, and they. And they keep they keep taking it off of. I mean, they downrank it in Instagram. They downrank it in uh, in Threads and Facebook now. And, and it seems like if there's a community out there that wants to be to build around news, they don't really have much of a place to go, except to like to your point, you know, around something highly individualized like newsletters. There's a woman. She's a reporter for the Washington Post. I don't know if she's a tech reporter or a digital. Her, she writes about social media, Taylor Lorenz. Taylor Lorenz, yeah. Uh, she wrote a terrifying article last week about the future of news. Um, and it is so scary. The future is no news creators who are aggregators, which is, I don't know how much either of you are on TikTok, but that's what TikTok is. TikTok is not journalists. It's just it's aggregators. They just are. It's like kind of what the holler is just telling you news. Like, Hey, here's all the news that happened today. Um, I've got a kitschy, like, like under the desk news. They've got a whole thing. They tell you the news from under a desk, like George Costanza, um, <laughs> wildly popular. I think maybe technically they are a journalist, but most of them aren't. So Taylor wrote this Washington post article last week about how content creators are how everyone's going to get the news in the future. And she's probably not wrong, but like you still need journalists writing the news so that the aggregators have, it's just, I can't wrap my mind around the future and it's a little scary. I, well, and, and people like Levi Ismail, like over at channel five who are doing kind of really interesting right. work on, on, on TikTok and doing, trying to do like a legitimate investigative story in this format they st even you know they they're they're building audience but it's not like it's not like that is becoming kind of a kind of a dominant thing that people are turning to to your point they're turning to these aggregators it's hard like am i supposed to turn patrick into a tiktok star like that's wild and even if he wants to do it the other half of the staff doesn't so you know, we've got reporters doing great stories. They don't want to be on camera. They don't. They don't come to work in like normal clothes. They don't want to you, do any of that. You went. You went to Patrick and and started doing uh doing the and you now do this with uh, Cole, uh, who's the who's the listings editor. Uh, you you're doing these stories. I mean, you're essentially doing a version of that, where Patrick is is will run through everything that's in the Thursday issue. Uh, and Cole runs through like some of the highlights of uh, of like the best stuff that's in critics picks every week. Uh, do you think, are you getting good response to that? Uh, are there? Yeah, it's wild. Um, I do. I'm always hesitant to take credit for this. Patrick did this on his own for years before I worked here. He used to do it in his Instagram stories and I used to watch them. So when I got hired, I asked if he would please do it in a more official way. And we rolled out what it became. And then Cole was just super excited to do it. <laughs> um, no, it's wild. Both Patrick and Cole get recognized. Uh, Patrick gets recognized like at random coffee shops. Um, <laughs> one of them just go like the news guy. Uh, Cole now gets it where he goes. It's very funny. Mostly I in East Nashville. <laughs> Probably. And the goal, like where our office is, like at Turnip Truck. <laughs> what I find interesting about 
because like content creators are where we're going to get our news. The question is, I think there's an editorial level also that is that is missing because I think there's a lot of freedom for people who are trained in that space. I want to say it's is it uh, Johnny Harris I think that does a lot of YouTube stuff where he will but he's been like embedded in the Middle East for for years in like sort of a traditional journalistic way and then but what he does is he takes time to sit down with a topic and then explain it to people but in YouTube. So it's like a podcast and a newsletter but in video form so it's not a TikTok algorithm attack your brainstem kind of thing but it's still good enough nutritional content that people are learning the right things um the the name of the guy escapes me but the guy who's created artifact which is essentially a news aggregation app which i recommend on this show all the time to people because it is social media without the social part which is the bad part (laughs) and but but he openly he created instagram and he says it lost its soul when we sold it to facebook but he also is openly admitted that he doesn't know how to monetize it yet he doesn't know how to take artifact and, and turn it into a profitable company. I'm I'm sure that they will figure it out <laughs> if enough people are using it. But I, I I guess I'm hope that I'm hopeful that every time we talk about this stuff, you know, radio is going to ruin America, TV is going to ruin the kids, like we, the internet's going to destroy all of our brain. Like social media is now the thing, and I know the government suing, you know, Meta right now, literally over how how we handle our children. And as a father of two daughters, I'm very concerned. But isn't it? Aren't don't we just kind of take the thing that's used against us and eventually figure out how to make it work for us in the best possible way. We sure do. And as a woman, I'm going to say, uh, women did most of this. Women figured out how to monetize again. And when blogging started to die, women went to Instagram and the Instagram guys were like, Mm-mm, no monetization here. This is just for pictures of your coffee. And so a woman developed a way to secretly make money off your Instagram posts. And she did it so well, every woman on Instagram started using it. And that is when Instagram (laughs) decided to allow sponsored content. I mean, it's, yeah, it's people will always find, it's capitalism. People will find a way to make money. It's what we are going to do. I I guess the hope is, can you do that while also creating like nutritional valuable content uh in the process i think is the is the like like you said where's the news going to come from and i think that's ultimately the question uh, i have a live question real fast for you just out of curiosity where you think it's going to happen because we're obviously watching how how twitter is so has has been in the past very important for especially uh underserved countries around the country around the world that that don't have the same infrastructure of media and journalism and technology where Twitter was re- really important to to showcase what was going on on the ground quickly. That is obviously not the case anymore um, as it pertains to to what's going on in the Middle East, for example. It, it, is there anything that, that you think you'll be like, what happens in Nashville? And I don't want to go back to March, for example, but let's say something happens in Nashville. We've had our share of crises over the last few years. Where Where are we as a community going to be tracking that? Or is it that we're all going to get trained to take take a little second, take a beat before we dive into all of our, like, how are we going to follow something like that if Twitter's not working? Is it just TikTok? Um, in March, uh, I leaned really heavily into Instagram stories. We had reporters, uh, we had multiple reporters and photographers on the ground sending me live videos that I was immediately pushing out. You guys did this very effectively during the special session, too. We're lucky. We have have photographers and reporters that go to events um, who will send me things in real time that I can immediately put on Instagram, put on TikTok. Um, So, yeah, the one one big event that has happened while I've worked here, I blasted out in real time in Instagram stories. Um, And so, I mean, everyone saw it. I, so many people just aren't on Twitter and my workaround is to catch them in Instagram stories. I think that's for better, or for worse. That's where a lot of people are looking to get news now. Also it's shareable. So you can, you know, scratch that performative activism itch. You can just share something and like I'm paying attention. Make it about you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That is what we do. <laughs> Hey Kim, uh, r- real quick here before we before we go, um, 
your your work appears in kind of a bunch of different places. I, I want you to tell people kind of like where the scenes uh, socials are and kind of like how they can do uh, how they can sign up for stuff at the scene, but also uh, like you've got a Substack that that some of your writing goes out on and kind of uh, and like where do, where can people find sort of all of this? The Nashville scene is easy. Uh, we are the Nashville scene on every platform. We are on Facebook. Twitter and Instagram. We are on Blue Sky. We are on Threads, and we're on TikTok. Uh, we are on Reddit. We are not posting yet. Uh, we're on YouTube. There, we're truly everywhere as the Nashville scene. Uh, the newsletter is super. You can't avoid the newsletter prompt. Um, any place on our website, a pop up is going to say, "Would you like to subscribe to our daily newsletter?" You can't get away from it. Um, and then the link to subscribe is obviously everywhere. It's in every Every platform has a link to subscribe to our newsletter. Um, and then, Steve, thank you. Me personally, um, I do have a Substack. It's just I'm the blonde mule on social. Um, it makes makes it very easy to find. I'm that <laughs> on every platform. I'm also on every platform. And it's the same on Substack. Well, here's to, uh, here's to women uh, making all this better. Because <laughs> the uh, the 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 super wealthy ego maniacal guy who's not really as smart as he thinks he is, who's never told no by anyone in his orbit, I, I'm not sure it's working. I'm not sure it's I'm not sure it's working. So, <laughs> no, I mean, I know there's bad women. I just I'm so irritated with Zuckerberg and Elon and the Instagram Adam guy. I just I've had it. Well, you and me and Steve and everyone listening. <laughs> so, so everyone. Uh, Kid, thank you so much for giving us some time. Thank we really you. do appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. That was our conversation with Kim Baldwin. Clearly, like a really fascinating path to getting to the role that she's in for the scene. Kim's in the great. Super smart. I, 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 she's just, she brings so much intention to that. I mean, it's interesting. A lot of times what you see in kind of social media managers is, you know, get it out there, get it out there, get voice, get voice, get voice. And and she's so, I, I see her do stuff with with the scene online in particular that that is just really, really smart. She kind of, she talked about kind of like, you know, stuff blowing up controversy wise on a weekend when she wasn't watching. You know, she, they try to avoid controversy. They're not, and they try not to, and I think this is important. They try not to to be the "Hey, we're your friends" kind of kind of voice online with a publication. And I think it's really smart. And and I think it's you know it's a testament that they've grown as much as they've grown there with her. She just does things really well. Uh, again, fascinating. Uh, before I so rudely interrupted, fascinating uh, path to get to where she's gotten to through all the political work and traveling and. They invented this role for her out of kind of thin air. They they needed it, and it's been really, really interesting to watch uh, grow. But before we get into what's going to be coming in social media for you and I, both on both ends of the spectrum, the the intake and the outtake, uh, if you are looking for a great burger to intake, where should somebody go? Jasper's. Always go to the fine folks at Jasper's. That's right. They are wonderful and amazing fine folks. And many people are talking about Jasper's across the entire Nashville landscape. Jasper's, of course, on West End. Uh, the next evolution of the sports bar, great menu, a part of the four top hospitality family of restaurants in Middle Tennessee and in other areas, actually, as well in the southeast. So uh, great folks over there running that ship. And uh, it's a great place to go eat. Plain and simple. It's a great place to go eat. You're not going to pay to park. you got a game room, great drink specials, great food. They've got brunch. They've got happy hours. They've got good lunches. Any time of day, any day of the week, you need to go hang out and get a good meal. Uh, that's your spot. So go to Jasper's, everybody. Okay? Go to Jasper's. Go to Jasper's. All right. So you got me on the Blue Sky. And and my initial, after playing with it for a couple of weeks, there still needs, because it's invite only, there's just still not enough mass there, as you alluded to with with, with Kim, that it, it, it does feel comfortable, though. It does feel like old Twitter. It reminds me of how, what I liked about Twitter, which is, wait for it, words. <laughs> and, and and human here oh how about this it's words and humans <laughs> those are the those are the two things I, I enjoyed about twitter when it started um i do have a couple of questions for you before we get to like our personal you know journeys in social media over the next five years and kind of predicting where we're going to be i i don't like instagram in general 
I think it's so, I think from a, on a personal level, not a content creation level, it is a performative, like just fake sort of like, let's see how good my life is compared to your life. We, we see all the studies and the influence on young girls. So I'm very aware of that as a father of two young girls. Uh, TikTok to me is even more brain destroying in general, but I get why it's so popular. I understand why creators are there. Where am I supposed to follow breaking news? Because she said, and they did an excellent job of it on the scene, putting it out on Instagram during the Covenant shooting. Something big happens in this city. Where, I don't trust Twitter anymore. I'm not on Instagram. Where should I be going? So let me back up here. To your point, and, 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 and I think I can answer that here. To your point, though, about you don't like Instagram because it's purely performative and whatever else. I mean, I, what I would say to to that critique of Instagram is the same critique that I would uh, same thing I would say to the critique of Twitter that it's a complete hellscape and whatever else. And th- <laughs> there's no there's no doubt that that Twitter is uh, it is objectively worse than it used to be because of some stuff that's happened at the top of you know at the top of the company and kind of the way they have they have handled disinformation here, particularly you know we we've seen it particularly in the in the Israel Hamas conflict. What I would say is you know your intentionally curate kind of kind of who you go to for for news there are still credible outlets on on twitter they're still doing credible work only use the chronological timeline don't use the you know don't use the algorithmic one because you know that gives them chance to kind of kind of insert stuff sort of in there that's the only that's the only way that i'll use that i will use twitter oh i'm the 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 for you thing is not for me yeah yeah (laughs) And, and and what I would say about Instagram is, you know, Instagram tries to put a lot of stuff into my feed, uh, but I, I'm very intentional about how I how I curate it. So now, like when I'm flipping through, like if I click on the reels button, and I will do this from time to time, and and just and just to kind of amuse myself. I mean, I'm pretty much down to dog videos, food videos, and 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 post punk performances from the '80s. Uh, and, and that's, and that's what I, that's what I'm getting on. That's what, that's what I'm getting you know, in my feed. And I think that that is, you know, that reflects an intentionality on my part about liking, about making sure that I like those things, um, that I want to see more of, uh, and not because, because it's true. Like, like Phil, Phil Williams got, got caught in this a few years ago and he's like, when he's like, why am I getting all these scantily clad women in in my in my Instagram feed? And he got immediately dogpiled by people going, because uh, Phil, you've been looking at scantily clad women on Instagram, and it's the serving search, you up. The, the search button knows exactly which ones you. Search knows on. exactly <laughs> what you're looking for. I wonder you, what Randy McNally's uh, <laughs> search mm, button mm, looks like on Instagram. Mm. <laughs> but uh, so go. I mean, be intentional about that. Go search. Go search for stuff that you want to. Okay, you so but so you you want to you want to look for and and don't expect, uh, you know, don't expect to go to it as a an ambient news source like kind of how like how you could Twitter you could it used to be you could just flip on Twitter and be like oh I'm gonna get the news now because no, no, it's gonna I, show up in my timeline you have to go to those sources sure. you have to and so there are people to what Kim was saying that that are that are trying to use for instance stories as a way to react and do news. And the scene I thought was really good about kind of like posting a lot of video during the, during the special session on, uh, on gun safety legislation about giving you kind of a lot of, of the flavor of what was going on there through those videos, you know, go to those sources that are doing that. So I, I think that's a very nuanced and intelligent answer for someone who enjoys the actual process of Instagram. I feel like it's eating a Snickers bar at 1030 at night. It tastes delicious for five seconds. And then I immediately feel fucking terrible. Like that is, I don't, I don't keep you up for a while. I don't like it. I don't enjoy the actual function. It does not mean that somebody is not doing excellent work to your point. It's exactly, you're exactly right. Go seek it out. Go find the good quality nutritional content that's out there and consume it. I don't like it. I don't, I don't like it. I don't like the video swiping. I don't want to, I don't want to have to stop it for 15 seconds. I, what I'm learning through this process is that I am okay. And, and, and honestly, I've kind of known this for a long time with television, television newscasters for a, a, a story that is unfolding, that is breaking. They are just professional like resetters. 
Like they they are just very articulate at just they're not breaking new news. They're not reporting new stuff. If there's a, a giant weather catastrophe or God forsaken a, a school shooting or a tornado or whatever, like if you turn on cable news or or even local news in our market, you're gonna get the same 12 seconds of content just delivered in a nicer way, in a better way for like four straight hours. And we kind of right. talked about that with 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 News Channel 5 during the covenant shooting uh, uh, process. And so what I'm learning is it, for me personally, because I do not enjoy the functionality of Instagram or TikTok, I just don't, I just don't, I don't like it. It's not my thing. I like words and I like humans. So I am, what I'm learning is I just don't need to track things in, in, in real, real, real time. Twitter is still okay because I've curated it enough that I can follow like the eight reporters that I know that would be on this beat that I, if something truly important happens where like it affects my family or my community in like real time, I can get that information. But what I've learned is I don't like, especially through this Middle Eastern conflict, I don't need to know everything that's happening at every second. I don't. And I'm okay waiting two days or three days for the person who has done four days of work to put out a really thorough nutritional piece of content that I can then consume on my own time. That's what I'm learning is I don't need to be connected to the entire world at all times. That's what I'm learning. Cause I just don't, I just don't like, I don't like the functionality of Instagram and TikTok. And I realize for Kim and for you and for the banner and what probably should be for me at 440, we should be on there capitalizing on the audience and the engagement. I just don't like it personally. And so uh, who's the old, who's the old man? I know now? I'm super, it's, I get it. I get it. But th- th- this is, and this is why I brought up some of the names of the people in the conversation with Kim. Like there are people that are out there waiting on this Middle Eastern conflict to offer like 45 minute YouTube videos because they used to be embedded in Gaza 10 years ago and they know more about this than anybody else. They've been there and they've talked to people. They're doing the reporting and they're going to do something a week from now to try to explain the whole thing in a more nutritional way that allows me to consume it and really go deeper into this particular thing. I, I just, and frankly, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, all those things are, are really been, they've been terrible through that particular issue in the Middle East. It's just, they, it's, I mean, some of that stuff that, that's misinformation has gotten to the president of the United States' desk. <laughs> like, like, so what I'm learning through this, and I want to get to where you want to be, but like where I'm at now is that I love the newsletters. I'm really big on newsletters now. I read the banner. I read Axios. I like the Nashville scene. I'm really big on newsletters because it curates it. I'm I still curate my Twitter feed, and I've learned that I don't need to know everything exactly as it happens. I can just wait a couple of days and think about it, talk about it with my wife. <laughs> like I I don't need to have everything right away. I can wait, and I'm actually okay with that. So as the as the banner uh, as the banner gets ready to kind of do like a like a fuller launch here and expand our newsroom to about 10 people we bit we've had a we've had a hard time because we're you know it's still just demetria and i and and connor uh connor dariani uh ex-belmont kid who we hired here right after the election um we we had a hard time kind of like how do you how do you cover a fast-moving story when there are 10 other outlets out there who are doing who are doing things of this nature and to your point, we've had we've had that sort of conversation about we don't have to write every single thing, particularly right now, while we don't have while we're not fully, you know, while we're not staffed the way we're going to be staffed. We're not. We we, we looked at part of this this Belmont story. Uh, it was a Belmont uh, freshman who was was in a park uh, and got and took a stray bullet from a shooting that was happening. Um, the shooter was firing at somebody else, hit her. It, because it touches on some of the reporting that Connor had done here recently about uh, about uh, people who have been declared mentally incompetent and, uh, to stand trial, can't really sort of stand trial, but like fall into kind of these gaps in the in the civil commitment system. You can't send them to jail, but, you know, so like, what do you do? That's very clearly the case yeah. with this shooter. And so we were we were doing part of the story and then, Channel Five, and I would recommend this. Uh, ben Hall and Emily West did this like, great, really great story, kind of on the shooter yesterday afternoon, and we and we just stopped. And we were like, okay, we're not we're not gonna, yeah. you know, we're not gonna we're not gonna do that. And I think that 
there's some there's there's some sort of application there to social media and kind of news consumption too, which is, you know, you can't you can't get everything, you can't get the best of everything all at once, and you can't do everything all at once. So to your point, newsletters are a great way to to kind of lean into curated consumption. Uh, there and and stories that provide depth and context off of the news you don't have to you don't have to tell everything kind of exactly as it's happening come to people with the context and the the, the kind of the kind of the fuller yeah. story and if you can do that then you know then you can sort of provide value and and, the, and it's being done in different ways like your newsletter generally is here's a, a story that you're going to care about a little bit more thoroughly written and sort of played out whereas axios's newsletter is going to be Real quick hitting one sentence, two sentences, three sentences on smart like, brevity, as the kids would say, smart brevity, as Nate and Adam would say, uh, we do love those guys. So go check them out. I read the Crooked Media newsletter for my national stuff. That's a little bit longer, um, kind of in between the two of you guys. And so there's there's different ways to, to, to get it. I would also, if you like the audio format and you want to wait a week to hear really good quality, thoughtful content about issues that are unfolding in our community, I would recommend uh, Pod Bless Nashville. Uh, of which Steve Cavendish will be a guest this week on the show because we have so much news this week. But I don't feel, and this goes to to social media back kind of bringing our entire conversation full circle. You don't need to make every story about you or right. or, a, or your brand either, your brand. We don't need yoga. I don't need like East Nashville yoga companies commenting on the Middle Eastern conflict. <laughs> I just, no. I, know, I know that there is pressure Right. There's this social media pressure. And I think Kim kind of alluded to it to to sort of like have a take or have a stance or take a stance on something. You don't you don't have to. You, you don't you don't have to. You don't if you tweet or if you post about a particular issue, you are making it about you. And that's all that that is. And so a, a big part of this is you just don't have to inject yourself into the stories. Now, you as an editor of a news organization is different, but like personally, you don't have to comment on everything as it's unfolding. Uh, like October 7th happened when Hamas attacked Israel. And I was like, I had so many things I wanted to say. And I, I waited a full week before we did our show, Pod Bless Nashville, where I actually had an opinion about what was going on. But I took a week to think about it. And I do think that time is important for us. I think it's in time. It's important for reporters. It's important for people that are consuming it. It certainly needs to be faster if you are in the community. That's different. If, 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 you're, if there's a... a active shooter in a school like we need to have a way to get that information immediately and that's important but if it's something that's half a world away you can take some time to think about it and this applies to sports this applies to will levis this applies to you know mike vrabel this applies to the nashville sc this applies to the preds changing gms like you can take time with these issues you would ask kind of where do you think this is going and, and i think that news orgs have because it used to be that it used to be that that as a news organization, you would either do the 6 p.m. broadcast or you would do the, you know, you, you would do the morning newspaper. It would land on people's doorsteps and that would be it for 24 hours. And then you would do it, do it again the next day. Same thing for the broadcast. The immediacy of social media and and the attractiveness of it. I mean, the reason why we talk about Instagram and, and the reason why we're talking about Blue Sky or, or, or Twitter or whatever else is because people are using these services because they they like using them and they find they find kind of value in it and i think that in a digital age and, th and this is the thing kim uh kim says you know they struggle with how do you how do you reach all of these viewers sort of or all of these readers kind of kind of where they are and so you're going to continue to see people sharing links on instagram on blue sky on twitter on whatever else maybe on maybe on reddit you know on you know they're they're going to be kind of starting discussions in discord and, and kind of curating sort of like those sort of chat sessions those sort of those sort of immediate things that's where sort of the the state of real-time news is going it's going yeah. and I think it's going yeah. less away you know it's going more away from Cable net, you know, cable TV networks. You know, we're still going to tune in when something kind of big happens, but, but, but for the most part, we're going to be finding those. We're going to be finding those audiences who want to who want to consume that content in kind of in those channels. And and you know, Kim, I I love that Kim jokingly made it about like 
rich egomaniacal uh men who are never told no and think they're smarter than than they really are who run all these companies but like really what does happen and if i this this will be my final recommendation heather cox richardson number one substack writer on the planet is one of the coolest historians like if you want to really understand sort of the history of events in our country uh i would go recommend listening to to, to her stuff read her stuff on substack but like a big part of why she's been successful is that people are are salivating for something more nutritional, something more time consuming, something more thoughtful, something that somebody put context around. And and all these guys, I think I think I think we as a society are starting finally. And I don't mean at the congressional level, because I think they're just in it for the for the likes and the clicks, ironically. <laughs> Super ironically <laughs> that, they're, that they're doing it just for the likes and the attention in this attention economy. I think we as a society are coming around like we did on seatbelts in cars, like we did on cigarettes. We have we are coming around on the fact that these guys are full of shit. They are doing it to make money off of all of us. And they are making a fortune that we are the new oil and that the biggest 10 companies in the world are all in San Francisco because humans are the new commodity. We are big oil, human beings. And our attention and our personal information is the biggest business in the world. And I think we are coming around on that and starting to realize, eh, maybe that's not the greatest idea. <laughs> we we don't all have to have our brains connected at all times. We don't all have to hear what the loudest uncle in our family has to say at all times. And maybe that's not where we should get our news. I think we're starting to realize this. And I don't trust Congress to do anything right about it. But I do trust consumers and people like you that are in a position to sort of do it the right way. I think we're going to I think we're going to figure out it might just take 10 years to get to ethical tech but I think we're going to get to ethical tech. That's what I think we're that's where I think we're going. I'm going to give you two recommendations here uh as we wrap up. I'm going to give you two recommendations for kind of interesting content to consume. First is uh, a thing called the 1440 newsletter and I think I've I may have recommended this before but I, I want to recommend it again. It pops in your inbox at about 4 a.m. every morning. It, it it is it is written to be a just a just the facts kind of newsletter. They will take one or two issues and kind of, you know, give you a five paragraph summary linking off to reporting from other people. Uh, you know, this is just pure aggregation. They'll, they'll do that for a couple of topics. Then they will they will do a couple of different sets of aggregation and give you headlines for here's the stuff that happened in sports. Here's the stuff that happened in business. Here's the, like, here's all the big stuff. And if you just want a down the middle look at kind of like what the news is of the day, it's a great newsletter. I, I, I flip through it every single morning. It's, you know, it, it's not that long of a read. Second thing I want to recommend is a complete is reporting from a great organization in a completely different format. So, ProPublica had a big piece on Afghanistan's zero unit night raids. And these were, it's really heavy stuff. Uh, these train, the, these squads of, of commandos that had been trained, uh, of Afghanistan commandos that had been trained by the CIA. And what they did was they turned it into the, the reporting in it through the lens of this one figure into a 16 minute animated piece. Uh, and it's called the night doctrine. Talk, and about it doing, is, talk about doing something differently. Yeah. It is fantastic. Animation wow. okay. in it is just great. Uh, but it takes this kind of like super serious topic and the animation is, is also that serious. It's not, this is not like Looney Tunes. It is, it is so good. It is so well done. Uh, I absolutely loved it. Uh, and you know, it's a tough watch at times. It is a very, it is a very serious issue, but completely worth your time. Again, it's called the Night Doctrine. Uh, you can find it on ProPublica's site. They have a, you know, they have a video. They have the, they have the 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 whole film up on YouTube. Well worth checking out. Uh, I loved every single second of it. So I know we've been going long here, but you you kind of sparked something there. Go to Jasper's by the way, Nashville banner sign up uh, for the newsletter, of course, pod bless Nashville as well. But you said sort of like doing things in a creative and different way. I want to get your thoughts real quickly on this. Cause I, I, I saw Ben Mesrich who wrote the social network 21 dumb money. He's, and I am of course obsessed with how Elon broke Twitter, but also how Twitter broke Elon. 
and he's written a new book about called Breaking Twitter. But what he calls it is sort of like dramatic nonfiction. So you write nonfiction, but you do it in like an entertaining way that essentially translates to to like the television, basically, right? Yeah. That's why like Social Network was such an interesting movie because of that. What do you make of the dramatic nonfiction? Uh, like Michael Lewis is not quite there in that. Michael Lewis, Michael is, a Lewis bit, is just a really great writer. He's just narrative to, nonfiction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, there's there's a lot of narrative nonfiction that that is in this category, uh, and you know, in the right hands, it can be done really well. You know, you just have to trust the sourcing on it and trust whatever. I, I was having this conversation with Betsy Phillips last night over At some- Aunt B on Twitter. Exactly. Uh, over uh, a final FBI file that she finally got and kind of everything that you don't know when you write a book and how you how authors can get haunted by the things that they will never know in trying to tell a very discreet story. And, and as much as I like the idea of narrative nonfiction, you know, there's all and, and, and you see it done with you see it done uh, largely with stuff that's hundreds of years old uh, as a way to kind of uh, as a way to kind of tell a story about about an age when nobody <laughs> and the, the advantage is, is that nobody can uh, kind of clap back at you well, for, for for sort of the reporting in it. Because what he calls it, but the author, Ben, what he calls it is like investigative reporting with informed speculation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I do. It's why it's successful on in movie form. And frankly, the book has already been optioned to MGM, so like it's already yeah. going to be a movie. So it's clear that it, it is it grasps our attention, but it does feel like the Instagram TikTokification of like nonfiction. But if it gets the job done and we all learn the stories and we have fun doing it, isn't that make us better off? I, I don't know. I, I I can't wait to read the book. I can't wait to see the movie. I just wanted to get your thoughts on adding the dramatic part to narrative nonfiction. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's I think that's marketing. Uh, you know, a lot, a lot of this has been done before, but um, but I, that's I, what animate that's what animating something does to it too. That's, right? It's exactly it what makes it, it makes it approachable. And, and uh, again, this ProPublica piece, fantastic. Go okay. check it out. All right, the uh, the Night Doctrine. The Night Doctrine. There you go. Um, ben Mesrich as well. Go check that out. Nashville Banner, Pod Bless Nashville. All kinds of news going on right now. Thank you to Kim Baldwin. Go read the Nashville scene. Go get their newsletter as well. As she said, you cannot avoid it. And where can you follow her across all the platforms? The Blonde Mule. The Blonde Mule. There you go. For Steve Cavendish, I am Braden Golf. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you guys next week.